All right, Mark chapter 9. I'm going to talk to you guys about faith today, exercising your faith. As some of you are still making your way there, I'll just tell you, I got a call from a reporter this week, uh, a gal that did a story uh, on uh, several pastors in the area a couple of months ago. Uh, and uh, basically, she talked to us about uh, just our call to serve uh, Christ and, and what was involved in our calling and, and what did it mean to dedicate your life to, to serving the Lord. And she's doing a follow-up piece to it. She called me. She said, hey, I'm doing another article. My editor wanted me to kind of do a diff, just a follow-up to that. And, and I have basically two questions. This is going to be the whole synopsis of the article. I want to know, what was your greatest reward in ministry? And then the second question is, what, is, what has been your greatest challenge in ministry? Uh, and, um, you know, I thought for a minute, and I said, well, you know, my greatest reward in ministry is planting churches uh, in general. I just, I just love to be used by the Lord to plant churches. I've been, you know, used by the Lord to plant about a half a dozen churches, and it's been, it's been just a, a huge blessing. I've personally planted two, uh, and then been a part of, of helping others plant you know, several other churches. Um, serving on the boards and, and, and so on. Just immensely satisfying. That's in general. And I said, in particular, my greatest blessing is the church that I'm currently planting right now. Uh, it's just been a huge venture of faith and it's been uh, immensely satisfying and, and growing, uh, a growth opportunity and so on. She said, great, okay, that, that's good. And we kind of expanded on that. She said, now what was your greatest challenge in ministry? I said, same thing. <laughs> Uh, what has been your greatest challenge, your greatest trial? I said, planting my current church. It's been my greatest challenge, my greatest trial, my greatest joy. Uh, you know, I, I can honestly say now that I've gone to bed uh, praying, God, kill me, uh, in the man meaning it. Um, and, you know, actually, you know, it's, it's a good place to be when you're so totally out there. That's the thing about faith. Faith is this, this venture that you take. And we're all called to exercise our faith, right? And it's this venture that we take that all at once is exhilarating, fantastic, amazing, and it's scary as well. You guys will remember when we started the book of, of Mark about, well, about like six months ago, back in, in March. Um, I told you about a guy named Lawn Chair Larry. And uh, uh, many of you remember, some of you weren't here for us, so I'll recap. Larry, Lawn Chair Larry, he's a guy that lived in um, San Pedro. He went down to the local Army-Navy surplus store. He bought 45 used weather balloons, uh, went to uh, the, the helium place, bought some huge helium t- canisters. He came home, tied the balloons to the, to the chair, filled the balloons up with helium, uh, strapped himself in, and his, and his friends, when he was ready, cut the, the lines so that he could take a ride. He brought along a BB gun uh, to shoot the balloons out when it was time to come down, brought along a six-pack of beer and a, and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He expected he'd go up about 30 feet in the air and just sort of cruise in the, over the neighborhood. This is a true story. Uh, and uh, so his friends cut the line, and to his shock and terror and horror, the, the chair shot straight up in the air, three miles up into the air. He drifted into the air traffic pattern of Long Beach International Airport, shut down all the flights across country um, that were destined for Long Beach, screwed everything up. Uh, he's got reporters chasing him all over town as, you know, the, the balloons drifting there. Cops, obviously, are waiting for him. 
Finally, about three hours later, he didn't shoot any of the balloons. He was scared to death to do that, you know. So he just, you know, he just held on for dear life. Uh, and and um, um, at any rate, finally lands, swarmed by cops, swarmed by reporters. The, the reporters managed to ask him three questions before he's hauled off to jail. Larry, were you scared? <laughs> I was scared to death. I was, yes, I was very frightened. Larry, would you do it again? No way. Not for all the tea in China, man. There's no way that I would go and do this again. Third question, the money question. Larry, why'd you do it? His answer, because a man can't just sit around. Man can't just sit around. That's (laughs) insane, really. But you know what? It's a cool picture of faith, really. Because our faith is the same way. It's scary. It never works out the way you saw it going in your head. Uh, it's, you swear you will never do it again, and yet, you can't just sit around. You have to step out, you have to exercise your faith. I, I think about um, Peter, you know, Jesus, we, we've gone through and seen him feed the 5,000, see, see him, seen him feed the 4,000. John's gospel tells us after Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, that uh, afterwards he sailed over to Capernaum and everybody followed him. All these huge masses of people following him. And Jesus basically turns around and looks at all these people and he's like, you know, and I'll paraphrase, you guys, you're, you're just following me because I gave you a free meal. And they're all, oh, no, 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 we, we're following you, we love you, we want to you know, serve you, whatever it is. And he's like, all right, well, you know, he starts giving them some difficult uh, questions. He's like, you know, here, some difficult information. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. They're like, a bunch of people, okay, nice knowing you. And then that's their departure point. And, and, and lots of people begin turning away from him at that point. He was right. They were only following him for what they could get out of the relationship. They didn't really have an understanding, a comprehension of, look, there's this, this is going to require some, some death, some sacrifice. And they, they didn't want any part of that. Uh, and so he turned to his disciples at that point, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And you remember what Peter said at that point? He goes, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And this is the issue, the, 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 the crux, the, 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 the border that we get to, this crossroads in life, where we come to a place where when we truly recognize who Jesus is, We have a decision to make. Am I going to forsake all and follow after him? Or am I going to trust in myself? And am I going to trust in my own efforts? Am I going to look to myself to, to, to satisfy my needs? See, this is the issue with faith. Faith is this thing, this, this interesting thing. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It tells us that in Hebrews 11. And it goes on to say in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay? And so so we're these physical beings. You and me, we're flesh and blood. We live in a material world. Right? I'm hearing the police playing in my head. And, and, and we live in this material world, and, and we're, we're, we're flesh and blood, and, and so we tend to, everything in us wants to, to walk according to what we can see, right? 
The problem is, is that if we have been born again, if we've surrendered our life to the Lord, the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit comes to take residence inside us. And, and we have this new spiritual nature that is born again, that's born within us. And now the, the, the two are, are together. For as long as you walk this earth, your flesh and blood and your spirit, right? And, and so at any given moment, we have a choice. Am I going to trust in what I can see? Am I going to trust in what I can understand physically? Or am I going to trust in the Lord by faith? Uh, the Bible says that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is this, this, this unique crossroads that we come to. Am I going to walk according to what I can see? Or am I going to walk according to faith as the Bible, you know, challenges me, exhorts me to walk? This is a difficult thing. Think about it. Our faith tells us as we read through the Bible, James chapter 1 verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, and I'll paraphrase, that God uses those trials to perfect you. Now, if I read that verse and by faith obey it, that means when everything starts hitting the fan uh, in my life, proverbially, so to speak, that I'm to count it pure joy. Lord, I thank you for these trials. I know you're using them to perfect me. Now, how many of us, that's our first response? No, we curse the trials. We fight against the trials. We freak out against the trials. We stay up at night worrying about the trials, looking at every 12 ways from Sunday how I can engineer my life to get rid of the trials. Right? But God's saying, no, a walk of faith says, and it's not that you, you go, you know, as a glutton for punishment, live your life like an idiot so that you've, you've always got crisis in your life. But it is to say when you're, when you're living out your life and a trial or, or a hardship comes in, that the faith walk says, I'm to consider this pure joy. And I've got a choice right now. Am I going to live according to the flesh or am I going to trust according to the spirit? Philippians 4.19. Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God's going to provide all of our needs, right? The Bible says that. A walk of faith says, Lord, thank you so much. I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, but Lord, I can trust in you. I remember several years ago, Brenda and I were waiting for a tax return to come, and we had it spent like five different ways, you know, before it ever arrived. And so finally the day comes, the magic day, the check's in the mail, it's shown up. Yes! And I go running into, from the mailbox into the house. It's here, it's here, you know? And, and, and so at that time, Brenda was, was paying the bills uh, in, our, in our house. Um, I paid the bills now. When I get to the end of this story, you might understand why. But uh, <laughs> so I, Brenda goes, oh, great, let me pay the bills. And then uh, you take the kids to McDonald's. When you come back, I'll, I'll let you know how much is left. We can, you know, go and spend our money. All right, cool. So I take the kids to McDonald's. And I'm all happy meal. It's great. Come home. Bring the kids home. Find my wife in bed. Bill's strewn all over the bed. She's in a fetal position asleep. I'm all going, this is not good. I wake her up. She says in a dejected voice, I think if we use all the tax return, we might be able to pay most of the bills. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? No, but see, faith says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. We have this crisis of, oh man, Lord, there's not an, <laughs> I got more bills than, than, and more month than I've got paycheck, you know? 
And no, I'm, I'm going to trust in the Lord to, to, to meet my needs. Our faith tells us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't lose heart, right? And, and so is that our natural inclination? When I'm laboring and I'm striving and I'm doing good and, and things aren't happening, am I, do, do I lose heart or, or, or do I trust in this? Well, most of us would have to admit, man, we get frustrated. You know, your, your, your marriage isn't going right. And this, this promise is for you. Don't grow weary in doing good. You just, you just continue to, to put yourself out there. Love, just, just, be as, as obedient to the scriptures as you can. Trust the Lord. And, and then there's no change. And then the next week, there's no change. And the next month, there's no change. Do we grow weary? Yes, we do. And then we pretty much, what happens in our minds is we say, well, this Bible stuff's not working out for me. And, and so what happens is we stop short and we don't press on. And, and the exhortation is, listen, faith says... Don't grow weary in doing good. In due season, you'll reap a harvest. You don't lose heart. I was talking to our leadership about this in relation to what God's doing here at the church. Uh, our church isn't quite two years old yet. March will be uh, a two-year uh, two anniversary here in, in this facility doing Sunday morning services. And, and now things are starting to fire on all the cylinders and we're, you know, trying to f- figure out how we're going to put off going to three service. I mean, what a blessing to have. We got to go to three service. Let's put that off as much as we can, you know. And, and so now we've got troubles of a different kind, but, but, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that it was, you know, is anybody going to show up? And what are we, and what are we going to do here? And, and it's just fear and trepidation and, and, you know, it's just anguish. And he, and I used this first to talk to him about, it. I said, look, here's basically the picture. You know, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season, you'll reap a harvest. And, 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 and basically what it is, is that we've been called to, to plow this field and to plant this field and to tend this field and, and think about it from the farmer's perspective. Man, all he wants is to put some food on his table, and he's got that pot of water on the stove, so to speak, and he's like, man, I want some corn, and he, and he goes out, and it's dirt. It's just a bunch of dirt, and he works all day, and he labors, and he strives, and he's sweating, and he's just, and he goes to bed, and it's dirt, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's dirt, and he goes to bed the next day tired, and it's dirt, and it's just for, for weeks on end, it's just a bunch of dirt. And some of you right now, you're in that season right now, and, and whatever it is, maybe, you know, you've got your teenager, and, and you're thinking, good grief, I just want to reap a harvest for crying out loud, and it's just a bunch of dirt, you know, it's just this dirty, muddy, awful experience, and I'm going nuts, I'm going crazy, and Galatians 6, 9 says, no, don't, don't grow weary in doing good, in due season, you'll reap if you don't lose heart, guys, that's faith. That's what we're talking about here. And so our challenge is, am I going to walk by faith or am I going to walk by my flesh according to what I can see? And I take the time to set all that up because that's exactly where we're at right now in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter nine. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. And and what's happened up until this point, Jesus has gone and he's taken his three main apostles, Peter, James, and John 
up onto the mountain. Pastor Cody taught this last week. It went up there and there was this transfiguration that took place. And we see Jesus up there and Moses and Elijah are up there and his three main apostles are up there. And, and meanwhile, his disciples are back down in the valley. And, and there they are back down in the valley and, and, and there's, this, there's this, this dichotomy that takes place here. Before I get into it, let's read the text. Starting in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, Jesus now coming down from the mountain, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams uh, at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. What we have here is a perfect picture of our Christian life right now. We have Jesus and his three apostles and Moses and Elijah. They're all up on this mountain of transfiguration. They, they, they've gone up into the heavenlies as it were. And right now, as you and I remain like the disciples down in the valley, we remain down in the valley here on earth. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's there with the apostles. He, Moses is there. Elijah is there. And, and there's this transfiguration, this glory that, that's, that's taken place. And meanwhile, he's entrusted the things of the kingdom to us. That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus says, I'm going up on the mountain. I'm taking Peter, James, and John. You guys tend the store while I'm gone. You occupy till I come. And remember, Jesus is trying to get these disciples. He's passing the faith on to them. I'm going to the cross. Six months from going to the cross, guys. You need to understand, you're going to carry on and be the witnesses. You're going to be doing the work. I'm going to be entrusting the, the family business, so to speak, to you. If anybody's going to hear the good news, it's going to come through you. So this is kind of like their first test here. He goes up there. He's there. And they fail the test. This man comes and he, and he brings his son and they can't heal him. And now Jesus comes down. There's this big crowd. Everybody's, you know, all talking and disputing. And you know exactly what happened. This man came up to the disciples. He said, my son is sick. Would you heal him? And the disciples couldn't heal him. And so the scribe sees on this as an opportunity to go, oh, you, some faith you have. You can't even heal this guy. You know, you guys are, you're messed up, man. Your faith is messed up. They draw a crowd. And don't you, don't you have friends like this? Don't you have people that you work with who are like this? They question your faith. They doubt your faith. And they see you having some sort of a struggle in your Christian life. And there it's this opportunity for them to scoff and for them to doubt. And this is exactly what's going on here. Uh, Jesus, having descended into heaven, the disciples down here in the valley, they're holding down the fort, and, and meanwhile, dealing with people who are contentious, people who are curious, people who need caring. That's exactly the scene we have here. Uh, we, we have to deal with people who need to be, to be, we have to deal with people who need healing, who need to be cared for. God's entrusted the things of the kingdom to you. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. We have to contend with people who doubt and who, who, dis, who uh, want to dispute with us. We have to set an example in our faith for those who are gathered around and are curious. How are they going to respond to this? How are they going to handle themselves in this? 
And, and see, the thing is, we need to be mindful that we are surrounded, all of us, each and every day, with people who are looking into our life. They want to see how you respond. They want to see how you carry yourself. They want to see, does the Christian faith really offer me hope? Does, do, do, do I really truly find healing in Christ, the way the Bible says? Do the, the Christians that I'm seeing in my life really possess supernatural power? And the answers to all these questions that they're looking for, they're looking at your life and at my life to see if it's true or not. The old poem, it's been, it's been said, you're writing the gospel a chapter each day by the things that you do, by the words that you say. People read what you write, whether it's faithless or true. Say, Christian, what's the gospel according to you? And this is the life that we live in now, having received this baton of faith, so to speak, from the Lord. And the key to our success or the key to our failure, it's all tied up in this little thing we call faith. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to take him at his word? Or am I going to trust in myself? Now, as we read through this, we can look at it from many different perspectives. And what I want to do with you is I want to look at this issue, this thing we call faith. I want to look at it through a couple of different lenses, okay? The first lens I want to look at it with you uh, with is through the lens of the apostles who have ascended up onto the hill with Jesus. Uh, I'll call these the detached apostles, right? Here's the thing. As Christians, it's important for us to come away with the Lord. It's important for us, just as these, these apostles went up on the mountain of transfiguration with God, as Christians, we need to take those times where we get away with the Lord and, and get refreshed and rejuvenated. But here's the danger uh, that, that can be associated with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I've seen, and maybe you've experienced it, is that there are those Christians who once they get a taste of that, that's all they want to have in their life and they want to live inside the Christian bubble. Have you met Christians like that? They're in church every single time the church doors are open, which is fine. Uh, they listen to nothing but Christian music, which is fine. Uh, they, you know, saturate themselves with God's word, which is fine. But they isolate themselves from the world, which is not fine. They have what I like to call a vacation mentality. Have you, ever, have you ever gone on vacation? Of course you have, right? We've all gone on vacation, right? I hope so. Okay, so you go on vacation, and if you're like me, what do you do when you're on vacation? You start thinking, well, this would be a nice place to live. <laughs> right? Right? Haven't you thought that? And you, so in your mind, you start running through the scenarios. How could I live here? Right? Now, let me tell you why that's unrealistic. Because you're on vacation. Of course it would be a nice place to live. I mean, I, I could, I, could li- I was going to say a couple of cities local, I won't get myself in trouble, but I could live pretty much anywhere if, I'm, if I don't have to deal with emails, I don't have to deal with the pressures of paying bills, I don't have to, all, you're away from all that when you're on vacation. That's a sweet experience. It's not real life. And a lot of times, Christians, they try to isolate themselves from the world, and that's not real life. That's not what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, We went on a men's retreat a couple of years ago, several years ago, actually, and 
And, and we're up there, and you know, those of you that have been on retreats, you know, God does this neat work, and you, you're up on the mountain, man. You are there on the mountain of transfiguration, man. God's ministering to you. He's blessing you. He's doing this work in your life, and you're like, yes, Lord, it's awesome. And you see things like you've never seen me. I see it clearly, and oh, you're repenting, and you're, oh, I'm going to be changed, and you're making vows. And it's, and it's real. It's legit. It's amazing. But then Sunday comes around, and you got to go down the mountain. Right? And so we're at this men's retreat, and this guy who's there, he's he's a guy that up until that point professed faith in Christ but had no fruit in his life. You've met the type. Uh, And and, and I don't know, maybe you look in the mirror and shave that type. I don't know. But here's the thing. He's a guy that thought he knew Jesus Christ but had never surrendered his life to the Lord. He goes up on this mountain, has this experience with God, has this radical conversion, confesses faith in Christ, and, and he, he's getting Sunday morning, I'm going down, and I'm gonna, everything's going to be different. And I'm like, brother, that's so amazing. Let me warn you that Satan's waiting for you down that hill. And you're going to get in your car, you're going to drive down there, and I don't care what you think it's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, and you need to be ready. Because the Christian life, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And you need to be ready to go down and do battle with the enemy because he's waiting for you. You can't live up on the mountain your whole life. The Lord wants you to go down that hill and into the valley. And so, but hey, he's going with you. So, you know, be comforted, be encouraged, but be ready. That night, the guy calls me in tears. Got home. His wife had moved out, emptied his his house out. He He got home to an empty house. There was nothing. She left nothing in there. And, and so he calls me, he's like, there's nothing here. My wife is gone. I don't know where she's gone. All my furniture is gone. She's gone. She's taken my baby with her. And, and he's just destitute. Now, the long story short is that, that they're now, they're back together. God's done this, this great reconciliation. The Lord's getting the victory. But I'm telling you, that guy couldn't live in the vacation mindset. He had to get down from the mountaintop into the valley and live out his faith. And this is exactly what Jesus and the disciples come down to. They're coming down from the mountain. They're hit with reality right there in chapter or in uh, verse 14. They come down, they see this great multitude and this contention that's taking place. Another perspective to look at the situation through is the eyes of this desperate father. Here we have a man who, who wants to exercise faith, right? But his issue is unbelief. He's confronted with the greatest fear in his life. My son is demon-possessed. And, and, and I need him to be delivered. And yet his issue is that he has unbelief. He, he comes, he, he, he says, hey, you know, here's what's going on. And he tells Jesus, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And, and we'll come back to that because that's important. But verse 9, we'll finish the, the context here. He answered him and he said, Faithless, O oh faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? Now Jesus knows the answer to this question. Right? He's not asking for his benefit. It's not like he needs the information. He's God. He knows the answer. 
He's asking it because he's going to do a work in this guy's life and he wants the man to put things in context so that when Jesus moves and works, the man will say, wow, this has been going on since he was a child and look at how awesome and amazing God is. That's exactly what he goes on to say. He says, uh, he answers him, it's been going on from childhood. Verse 22, he says, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, just a word on that really quickly. That's Satan's objective for your life. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so this demonic spirit in this kid's life, he's seeking to kill him. He wants to destroy him. That's his objective all the way. He, the father goes on, verse 22, but if you can do anything, <laughs> let's just pause for a minute right there. What's he say? But if you can do anything, he's talking to Jesus Christ. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, let's be honest. We pray that prayer, don't we? I almost caught myself praying that prayer today as I was praying for a brother. Lord, if you can, Lord, of course you can do some. I mean, it actually came out of my mouth. I'm like, I've been studying this all week. And it, even then it came out, Lord, if you can, wait a minute, you can do it. You're God. And that's what Jesus says. He, he, the guy says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, verse 23, if I can do something. No, he says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus says, no, it's not if I can do something. The question is, will you believe that I can do something? That's the question. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now there's a lot for us to see here. Let me start with the father's attitude. Verse 18, we see his attitude. He says, I spoke to your disciples that they, and look at the word, should cast it out. You know, a lot of times this is our attitude, isn't it? You know what? The church ought to take care of teaching my kids how to love Jesus. The church ought to feed the poor, man. That's what the church ought to do. You know what the church ought to do? That ought to get some more parking places out here. That's what they ought to do. (laughs) The church ought to counsel and heal my marriage, man. That's what the church ought to do. Listen, yes, the church should do all these things. But what I've discovered is a lot of times we put a burden on the church when in actuality, guys, who is the church? It's you and me and us together. We're the church, right? And so, and and I can't tell you the number of times I get, you know, parents who come to the church, they drop their kids off at youth group, they slow to 20, let the kid tuck and roll, you know, and and then they, they come back and pick him up and it's like, have you fixed my kid? Well, I don't know. What were you doing? I I was watching the game. Uh, I send my kids to, yeah, but do you bring your kids to church? Are you bringing your kids to church on Sunday? Are you bringing your kids to youth group? Are you getting involved in the youth group with your kids? No, this isn't a plug to get more volunteer help, but if that happens, a byproduct of this, praise you, Jesus. That's the way the church is supposed to work. See, the thing is, is that, no, they should do this. No, What's Jesus' response? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how much long should I bear with you? Let me just give you a tip. That's not what you want to hear Jesus say to you. Okay, oh, faithless and perverse generation. And yet that's his response. What does he say at the end of verse 19? Bring him 
to me. That's what the Lord, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where this guy's life's going to be changed. Not because you brought him to the church, the church is going to fix him. No, Jesus is going to fix him. Bring him to me, the Lord says. Can I just tell you that the church is going to let you down? Can I I just burst your bubble right now? I mean, you're going to be counting on me to call you and I'm going to forget. Or you're going to be counting on the church to like, you know, have some, you know, incredible breakthrough with your, with your brother that you brought from out of town who doesn't know Jesus and you're hoping Pastor Ted had actually like preached something good on a Sunday and he'd hear the gospel. Can I just tell you that, that we're going to let you down? We are the church together. I didn't think of my little kids. I got this little vision, my kids in the church program. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. And, and, and we are. That's how it's supposed to be. And together, Our focus needs to be not a program, not some slick policy, not, you know, whatever. It's Jesus. It is simply Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. He's the one that brings change to our life. So we focus on him. Another thing to notice about this father, he says to him, if you can do anything, Jesus is like, if I can. No, it's if you will believe. That's, that's the thing. And my question for you today as we study through this is each of us is at some sort of crisis of faith at any given time. We're dealing with different things, different issues. And, and we let that attitude creep into our head. Lord, if you can do anything, and the Lord would say back to us, no, it's not if I can do anything. It's if you can believe. Because if you notice in verse 23, what is Jesus' response to the guy? He says, if you can believe, what's the next word? All. All things are possible to him who believes. Now, if you're a note taker, circle the word all. Humor me, because you know where I'm going with this. But you circle the word, word all. What does it mean? All means all. That's all all means. Actually, <laughs> it actually has a pretty cool definition as you, as you go through and, and, and study. Literally, this word all means each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. It's the Greek word pos, and you might have guessed we get the word possible from this word. All things are possible with God. There's nothing that's impossible with God. And you know, so many times we go through a different situation and we think, oh, this is just too much. This isn't possible for God. No, all things are possible with God. And that's what he says to this guy. He goes, it's not if I can do it. It's if you will believe. And the man's response is incredible. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm talking about this with my wife. And she's like, well, that's a dichotomy. How can you believe and then say, help my unbelief? Well, here's the deal. uh, The disciples struggled with the same thing. Luke chapter 17 um, you can turn there if you want, but I'll just tell you what it says. And if you're taking notes, just write down Luke 17, 6. But in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's talking to them about this issue of forgiveness, right? Touchy subject here in the body of Christ, isn't it? Because every one of us sitting here has someone that's pissed us right off. Can I say that from the pulpit? Because I think I just did. People just make us so mad. And they wrong us and they hurt us. And it happens. We're people. And, and, and so Jesus is talking to his disciples about this concept. He goes, people are going to make you mad. And, and, and here's the way it works in the kingdom of God, guys. If someone sins against you and then they come and they say, would you forgive me? You need to forgive them. And if they even, if, even if it happens seven times in a row on the same day that they sin against you and then they come and say, man, I blew it again. You need to forgive them. And the disciples said in response to this, Lord, 
We believe, but help our unbelief. They said the exact same thing. And here's what Jesus went on to say to them in response to that. They're saying, and really in a sense, here's what they're saying. They're saying, Lord, we believe what you're saying and we want to do what you're saying, but we're not so confident that we can do it. That's what they're saying. We believe, but man, the doubts, the fears, the anger, the bitterness, man, it's there. And so, so how do I do by faith what you're telling me to do when, when I know that I'm going to blow it? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And here's what Jesus says, Luke 17, verse 6. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now listen, the roots of the mulberry tree were thought to be extraordinarily strong. And they were very difficult to uproot a mulberry tree. In fact, it was thought that this tree could stay rooted for 600 years. Okay? And, and, and I have no doubt about that. I went to the Garden of Gethsemane where there's olive trees growing there that have been rooted for 2,000 years. Uh, and, and, and so, I mean, it's just the trunks of these things are, are massive. And just to stand there and realize, man, that tree has been there since Jesus wept in this very place. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you have just a mustard seed, the tiniest seed that there is, mustard seed of faith, you can say to this mulberry tree, even though its roots go down so deep and it'll just live for 600 years, its roots go so deep. You could could say that, be removed and be planted in the sea and it can happen. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, I know the roots of bitterness run deep. But if you just have enough faith to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, then God will give you that supernatural capacity, all things are possible for God, to even remove those deep roots of bitterness that are in your life. And it's not just limited to that. I don't care what you're facing today. You could be facing a health issue. You could be facing a financial issue. You could be having some sort of a relational issue. Your children are driving you nuts and you don't know what's going to happen and which way they're going to go. And you're scared to death because they're just a little bit away from 18. And, and man, they're in such rebellion right now. All things are possible if you'll just trust God with that mustard seed of faith. And then again, the qualifier, what I'm not saying is that you can just name it and claim it and have whatever it is you want and that God has to respond the way you want him to. I'm not saying that. But the Bible does tell us that in all things, Romans 8.28, God works together for good to those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And so what you need to do with whatever that issue is, and every one of you ought to have something in your mind that you're dealing with right now. And, and then you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to engineer it. You engineer it. You're trying to work out the answer to it. You need to know. No, I, I just need to give it over to the Lord. I need to bring this to Jesus. And when I bring this thing to Jesus, he, he can remove the bitterness in my heart. He can remove the the fear and trepidation about what's going to happen with the healing of my son. He's the one that can take care of all of these things. And that's what Jesus is looking for, just that we would meet him where we're at by faith. So Jesus heals the boy, and it says there, uh, immediately the father of the child cried out, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, 
He rebuked the unclean spirit. See, what's happening is all the people had gathered around. Remember, a lot of looky-loos here. A lot of people just looking for signs and wonders. They really aren't interested in following after Jesus. They just want a sideshow. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to let this holy moment become some spectacle for somebody that just wants to have an ooh and an ah. So they're coming running. He goes, I'm going to deal with this spirit right now. Get out. Everybody out of the pool. Let's go. You're done. Get out of here. And he wants to do this before this whole crowd gets there. And so he says to him, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Everybody out of the pool. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, a very rebellious spirit. Now you read this and you go, oh, come on, Ted, he's had a seizure. You know, I mean, you're talking, Jesus says it's an unclean spirit. So, so you know, I, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I believe that it's exactly what Jesus says it is. It's an unclean spirit. So the spirit convulsed the kid greatly and came out of him, and, the, and he became, this is the child we're talking about, he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. Can you underline that in your Bible? I don't care what you're going through right now, Jesus wants to take you by the hand, and he wants to lift you up. And you might think, we are DOA, man. I'm dead in the water. There's no hope beyond this thing. No, the Lord wants to take you by the hand and lift you up. And he arose, verse 28, and when he had come into the house, and the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out. So he said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Give me your attention. We're going to close focusing on this. I want to look at this through the perspective of these disciples. Because here this whole thing goes down and the disciples are feeling dejected and they're down and they're upset and downcast and they're like, man, he trusted the store to us and we blew it. We blew it. He said the guy brought his son. And, and, and remember, Jesus had, had given them power over unclean spirits before this and had sent them out. And they came back and they're like, wow, all these, these spirits were subject to us. And he goes, don't rejoice in all that. Rejoice rather that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what you ought to be rejoicing in. So these guys have had an experience in casting out demons in the past. And they're going, why couldn't we do it? And that's the answer in their question. Notice again, verse 28, why could, what's the word? Why could we not cast it out? That's what their question was. And Jesus would say, because you can't do anything, man. It's not about you. And, and I, I don't know about you. I mean, this is the way my mind works. I picture the scene. The father comes up. He says, hey, here's my son. Can you cast out the demon? And I can just see the disciples going, okay, hey, wait a minute. What did Jesus do? Spit on him, man. Let's spit on him. That, that's what he did the last time. He did blind man in Bethsaida, right? Spit on the kid. You know, and, oh, wait a minute. It's not working. Wait, no, 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 no. Here's what you got to stick your finger in his ears. Remember, that's what he did with the little girl in Tyre. He stuck the fingers in, stick the fingers in the, stick in the fingers. No, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And the other guy's like, no, no, no. Listen, you, you don't just stick the fingers in the ear, but when you stick your fingers in the ear, you got to spit on their tongue. Remember, he did that with a deaf man in Decapolis. So you do this, and you can see these guys. And, and, and no, it's no wonder in, in verse 14 when Jesus shows up and, and we read on that the father's like, well, thank God you're here. You know, I got Larry Moe and Curly here running with my son. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I think. Here's the point. These disciples, they're trying to do everything in their own strength. They're trying to engineer stuff that works for them. And this is what I've experienced, having been in ministry now for 17 years. I know how to do ministry. I've, I've, I've learned a thing or two. 
This ain't my first rodeo. I've been around, you know? And, and so the dangerous thing is that I've been around. I've had 17 years of experience. So the natural tendency when something comes up is for me to go, oh, well, I know what we do there. No, we just do this. We do that. This is how it works. It always works. Yeah, but you know what? Just because that's how God worked before, it doesn't necessarily mean that's how God's going to work now. I have, to, I have to take him to Jesus. I, I, I can't just go, oh, hey, you know, I'm here and let's try this. And then this is the whole idea here. These disciples are, Lord, why could we not cast him out? He's like, because it ain't about you. And then he goes on, he says something very telling. We close on this point, verse 29. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Listen. When they brought this boy, who's in the process of having a seizure. Now, let me just give you a little medical background. Seizures are life-threatening. If someone has a prolonged seizure, their body core temperature goes up, it can cause brain damage. Uh, somebody has a seizure, they stop breathing. Um, it, you know, it's incompa- breathing's kind of compatible with life, not breathing incompatible with life. It's dangerous, it's life-threatening. The issue is Jesus is saying, look, with this kind, what is this kind? He's talking about demonic activity, the demonic influence in your life. And and, and he's saying this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And here's the point, guys. You were not praying and fasting. And so when the father brought the kid to you, you weren't prepared. There ain't no time. And let me put it in context of our lives here. And dad's primarily moms too let me just speak to you in this in the the closing two minutes your children right now desperately need for you to be a man and a woman of prayer and fasting fasting is just a spiritual discipline you say okay well how do i fast should i just not eat desserts should i like not eat food and just drink protein drinks or drink rock stars or how do i no it's not that's formula It's about denying yourself, seeking the things of God. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow after me. This is the point. That's how you do spiritual warfare. And and Jesus, when he says this kind, it's a little, it's it's talking about the demonic influence in your life. You got some of you, you got all kinds of issues going on in your life. Some of it's demonic, some of it's just stupidity. I'm having trouble paying my bills. Well, yeah, because you took your money and you went out and you bought something you shouldn't have bought. Then just quit being stupid with your money. That's not demonic. That's just stupidity. All right. But there's some things in our life. Can I say that? Gosh. So there, there's some things. <laughs> hey, if the shoe fits. <laughs> but there's some things in our life where it's demonic influence in our life. Satan's like just at work. And it may, you know, Satan's not om- omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all the time, but a third of the angels fell with him. That's a lot of, of demonic influence on the earth. And there's a lot of demonic influence in your life. And can I tell you that Satan wants to steal, to kill and to destroy. And he's after your kids. He wants to destroy your children. Turn real quickly. We're going to look at two scriptures and then we're done. Turn to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 10 through 18. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Here's my, here's the point is that Jesus is saying this kind can only be, be confronted through prayer and fasting. Satan wants to attack. He wants to steal, to kill and destroy. And it's like he looks at your life and, and all of a sudden he says, Hey, Ted doesn't have his helmet of salvation. He doesn't have a shield of faith. He doesn't have the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, come on, let's get Ted. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh no, 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 wait just a minute, Mr. Satan. Just, just one minute. Let me, let me catch my breath. Let me run home. I need to get my shield of faith. And I, no, he's waiting for you not to have it on. That's when he's going to go after you. And the thing is, is that he's going after your kids. Job chapter one, this is where we finish. Turn to Job chapter one. The enemy wants to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's waiting for you not to have your armor on, your spiritual armor on, and he wants not only to kill and destroy you, he wants to kill and destroy your kids' parents. And we read in Job, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. And also his possessions were, it goes on to talk about his possessions in verse 3, the man was blessed by God, lots of possessions. Verse 4, and his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day and would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. Translations, the sons would say, hey, party at my house Monday and we'll party at your house on Tuesday and we're going to party at your house on Wednesday. And that was what they did. Verse five, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job, pay attention fathers, would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He would offer burnt offerings for every single one of his children. You think your morning devotions are hard. He would offer burnt offerings for every one of his kids rising early in the morning. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did. And what's the last word? Regularly. Job did this regularly. Parents, I I just finished with this point. We have a walk of faith that God has entrusted to us. And we're challenged daily, am I going to walk by sight? Am I going to walk by what makes sense to me? Or am I going to walk by faith? If you walk by the flesh, if the way that seems right to you, the Bible says it's the end is the way of death. And that's Satan's plan for you, and it's Satan's plan for your kids. But if you put off the old man, and you walk according to the Spirit, and you focus on being a man of prayer, being a man and woman of prayer, of, uh, of fasting, someone that seeks to be girded up with the armor of God, then what's going to happen is that when Satan attacks, you're going to be prepared to stand off, hold off those attacks. Listen, the cause is Satan. The cure is Jesus. 
And the question is, are you going to take him at his word and walk by faith or not?